We know the research is so clear that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms and that a man's acceptance of his partner's vibrator use is really correlated, related with her sexual satisfaction. The more accepting he is, the more satisfied she is. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Dr. Lori Mintz is a licensed psychologist, a certified sex therapist, and a professor at the University of Florida, where she teaches the psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of students a year. She's also the author of two books, both aimed at empowering women sexually and both with published studies showing that women who read them enhance their sexual functioning. One of them is A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex and the best-selling book Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and how to get it. Enjoy the show. Okay, Miss Lori, I'm so excited to have you onto the show. This conversation, I think, is a long time coming, I'm sure. A long time coming. Get it. <laughs> you know, working in the sex, love, and relationship space, the puns are never ending. And I hope that I am always tickled by them for my entire life. I'm six years in doing this work now and I still get a giggle. But anyway, so this podcast has been a long time coming. Why I say that is we talk about orgasm all the time on the show, but we don't talk about specifically the term orgasm gap or what that means. And I know that that is a big part of your work and what you do in the world is educating on orgasms and what this kind of, what is this so orgasm gap and how do we close it? Again, excited to have this convo. I think it has been a long time coming that we talk about the differences between men and women and men having a substantially higher rate of having an orgasm than women typically having in during sex and What's that all about? So thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise for our That Sex Chick listeners. I'm so excited to be here and share this. So as you said, I'll just throw out some wild stats for you. The orgasm gap is the consistent finding actually in the research literature that when women and men have a sexual encounter, the women are having way fewer orgasms than the men. Like in one study, they asked, how often do you usually orgasm during sex? And 39% of women said they do versus 91% of men. Ooh, big gap. And then a lot of subsequent research looked at that and they found the gap was highest in hookup sex. It gets smaller as people get to know each other, but it never closes altogether. For example, in relationship sex, one study found that 68% of women versus 85% of men said they always orgasm during a sexual encounter. So you can certainly break that down about why that's happening, but that's what the orgasm gap is. It's wild. I mean, I think yeah. of my husband and I now, and I'm pretty sure his rate of orgasm or ejaculation within our relationship is 100%. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm surprised at some of those stats because I expected like not so much in the hookup sex stats because a lot of times it's college students and they've been drinking too much, which inhibits orgasm. But I was pretty surprised that it's not 100% or closer to 100% in relationships as well. Yeah. Wild. Okay. So how did you even find yourself into this work where you're studying literature on who's coming where and how and how often? Okay. So I'm a licensed psychologist and a certified sex therapist. And I also have conducted research on sexuality, written books, and I teach the psychology of human sexuality at the University of Florida to about 200 students a semester. I look, that's in the literature, it's in the book that they read, right? But what I didn't anticipate is it wasn't just a stat to my students. There was so much confusion around this, so much pain, so much feeling broken by the women that I started teaching about female orgasm and how to do it and started teaching to that topic. And I would get notes from my students, really beautiful notes, like, thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. Thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, 
I don't want to keep this to these 200 students a semester here. I want to write a book to expose the orgasm gap and give people ways to close it culturally because it's a cultural problem and empower couples to close it in their individual bedrooms. Brilliant. So what do you think causes this gap? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm going to tell you the number one reason. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe, to be honest with you, that 2023, I still have to say this, but I do because it's very clear to me what the gap is due to. It's due to our cultural ignorance and ignoring of women's most reliable route to orgasm, which is external vulva, that's the external part of the genitals, clitoral stimulation. We know from research that only 4 to 18%, that's 4 to 18% of women orgasm from intercourse alone. But look at any movie scene, right? What do you see? She is having an instant orgasm often at the same time, she's having so much fun. And I'm not saying penetration isn't fun, but it's rarely orgasmic alone. And that is the biggest, biggest cause of the orgasm gap is people don't know that because if we have terrible sex ed and they get their modeling from movies or porn, and that's what it portrays. Yeah. Is that you just stick it in right away? and go vigorously in and out, and it drives her wild. Yes, and honestly, the truth of the matter is, if you stick it in and go wild without enough clitoral stimulation, without store-bought lube, without arousal, not only will it not be orgasmic, it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful. And we know that 30% of women said they had pain at their last instance of penetrative sex, And a huge number of those just didn't say anything to their partner at all. They just worked through the pain, if you will, because this myth that it's supposed to hurt. Right. And I think the myth too, when you mentioned the lube piece is that the myth, there's all kinds of myths or phrases that I hear regularly. I mean, I feel like I don't hear it as regularly now, but I remember from when I was in college and just things that girlfriends would say to each other and that the guys would say. And it was almost like any additional thing that was outside of the penis getting in to the hole and like doing its its thing, anything that wasn't that meant something was wrong. And they would defend with all every ounce of their masculinity that, that their woman doesn't need lube, that their woman doesn't need this. It was just this really interesting thing. When I think back and I like re-listen to in my head, replay certain conversations where I'm like, wow, this is really inhibiting so much like great time. This is inhibiting so much pleasure. Exactly. And it's all of it's mythical. Yeah. And it can really free men up too to learn the truth. Like the truth is that most, like I just said, you know, only four to 18% orgasm from penetration and women have something called, it's also well documented arousal non-concordance, meaning you can be really excited in your head and not lubricate, or you can lubricate and not be interested and Some women produce a lot of lube, some produce the natural lube, some produce a little, some produce hardly any, despite being excited. And lube, store-bought lube and vibrators, if while we're on the topic, which are also this external thing we get a lot of flack about, which I'd love to talk about the biology of why they work. We get this idea that they're fake, you know, and it's really inhibits women's orgasms. And it puts a lot of pressure on men to thrust hard and last long. And once, you know, and it's just, it messes with sex for everybody. Oh my gosh. And so interesting when you say the word fake towards that, when there's so many women out there that are borderline faking or all the way faking their orgasm to begin with. It's like, well, what if these, yeah, what if these in air quote fake things, this lube, this store-bought lube or this vibrator is helping you to get to a real orgasm. Right. You know, instead of having to like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So let me just scream a little louder. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, the number one reason women give for faking orgasm is to appease their partner's ego Mm -hmm. or to not seem abnormal, not coming the right way. 
And there's even studies that men who they're given these like scenarios to imagine in their head. And when they imagine they've given a woman an orgasm, they feel more masculine. And it's so messed up because, I mean, that whole myth out there, men don't care. You know, I think that's BS. All the men I talk to care a lot. Their masculinity, their depends on giving an orgasm, but how sad that they're barking up the wrong tree, if you will, because they're trying to do it in a way that isn't going to work. Totally. And what I also find fascinating about that too, is that they make it more about their ability than about actually delivering pleasure in a way that the person that they're delivering the experience to wants it. It's very goal oriented. It's like, did you come yet? Did you come yet? Did you come yet? I've even asked my audience before and done a poll, like put a question box and got the responses and it was male to female partners. How do you feel if you know she doesn't come? Mm. How do you feel? And Uh the vast majority of the response was that it was a mix between I don't stop until she does. I feel bad. I feel useless. I feel worthless. I feel less of a man. It's all the things that you can imagine. And a lot of my woman always comes and it's this like kind of machismo, egotistical, like some of that sprinkled in there too. And then mixed with maybe a little bit like I feel okay. It's very tiny if it's this. I feel okay if she still experienced pleasure and was satisfied. It's very little. Interesting. Interesting. So it really is, you know, they really, really care. Yeah. And when they say they don't stop till she comes, I'm imagining in many of those scenarios, that's her faking because she wants it to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's going on too long. I mean, that's the other great irony we're telling men, A, you have to be big in your penis and you have to thrust hard and last long. And for a lot of women, they don't want it to last that long. It gets uncomfortable. And there was a great study. They asked women, what's most important to you during intercourse? Not one mentioned penis size. The only women who seem to like say it's important are the four to 18% who orgasm from intercourse alone. Mm. So, you know, we have all these harmful, harmful myths out there. Yeah. Sex and Love Co. is officially back in bed with Yoni Pleasure Palace. We really are a match made in heaven. YPP continuously amazes me. Once a company known for their Yoni eggs and crystal pleasure wands, they have grown into a truly remarkable brand with many services and additional products like glass, steel, and wood pleasure tools for those of you who like a more natural element in your toy collection, as well as waterproof sex blankets. You know, that's one of my faves. Yoni steam herbs and stools, strap-on harnesses, specialty vibrators, anal toys and prostate massage massagers, water and oil-based lubricants, breast massage oil, menstrual products, and so much more. If you can believe, I have quite a collection of things that fall under the category of adult products. By far, the most impressive part of my collection are the items I have by Yoni Pleasure Palace. Every purchase I make or gift that I give from YPP has an element of sacredness to it, and that truly takes them above and beyond any other brand I've tried or that I've worked with. I've got great news, my love. With our recent recommitment and partnership, Yoni Pleasure Palace has increased my code, that sex chick, from taking 10% off of your order to 15% off your entire YPP purchase. Hell yes. So head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection and use promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection. And don't forget to use the promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Okay, so... I do want to circle back to why do vibrators work in this external stimulation work? Cause that seemed to really light you up. And I feel like this feeds into my question of how do we close this gap now that we've discussed it, now that we know that it's there, it's in a lot of literature and research. So how do we close it? Cause I think that there's different ways to look at it. How do we broad spectrum culturally shift yes. this because it's really important and how do we do it even on an individual level, bedroom to bedroom? 
Okay, so let me hit the cultural part first. And then when we get to the bedroom, to the bedroom, I will also talk about vibrators. Yes. Is that cool? That sounds okay. perfect. So the way we close it is spreading knowledge about the clitoris. The clitoris is the analogous to the penis. The clitoral hood is analogous to the foreskin, the glands, to the head of the penis, the inner lips of the vulva, analogous to the shaft of the penis. The vagina is not the analogous organ. So we have to really raise awareness and we have to call out false images. I really challenge people. Once you know the truth, the next time you're sitting with a group watching a movie and you see that, say, hey, that's not true. You know, like really, and plus we need better sex ed, which I fear we won't have. So that's a pipe dream, but it's a pipe dream. How do we close it in individual bedrooms? There's first, women need to know what type of clitoral vulva stimulation they need. And the best way to do that is to masturbate, find out. And everyone needs something a little bit different and nobody's vulva nerves are positioned exactly the same. And then essential but underutilized advice, get the same type of stimulation you get alone with a partner. When women masturbate, 95% orgasm easily and within minutes, and less than 2% masturbate by putting something in their vagina. Less than 2%. They do it either in combination with clitoral stimulation or alone external stimulation. And yet when with partners, they think, oh, you know, I don't need that. So transfer your masturbation to partner sex and change the way you do sex. No more foreplay just to get her ready, intercourse, male ejaculation, sex over. Take turns, for example, like, you know, she comes first through oral, manual, or vibrator, then you come through intercourse, for example, or she comes second, fool around enough that you know that PVI, penis and vagina, is going to feel good, have your orgasm, then she gets her pleasure, some whatever way she wants. Some women want to hop in the bathtub and run wanting, running water because that's their way. Some want a vibrator. And if you want to come during the same act, intercourse, not at the same time, then you need to get your clitoris stimulated, right? Usually like either by woman on top, so you're rubbing it against a partner's body part. It's no less sex if you reach your hand down and do it, or a vibrator, either a handheld or there's something called couple vibrators, which I'll explain in a, they're like cock rings with attached clitoral vibrators. But why do vibrators work? We have special receptors on our vulva and on the penis, by the way, that respond to vibration. They're found nowhere else in the body. So if you take a vibrator on your arm, it's going to feel real different than on your penis or your vulva. And vulvas love vibration. And here's something for men. If your partner has a vibrator down there and your penis is down there, you're going to get some what I call vicarious vibration. And I promise you, because you have those same receptors, it will feel good. And I have one more thing to say. They don't replace partners. That's a myth. I've never, nobody's created a vibrator that makes you laugh, cuddles, says, I love you. And here's a metaphor I often use with my couples that I work with. Imagine you're in the swimming pool and you're with your partner and you have a raft you're jumping on the raft, off the raft, kissing on it, kissing off it, have a great day. You don't go home and call your friend and go, oh, my raft and I had the best day together. Oh, my boyfriend was there. You don't even mention the raft because it wasn't important. It was just a tool to enhance the experience. So, I mean, I think that's really important and it doesn't desensitize your clit. It's not addictive. And so what, if you always need it, you always need it. There's that, that idea you shouldn't need something is really kind of past its time. Totally. Oh, thank you for that. And I'd love to double click on the desensitize word there because that is something that in recent times I have heard more and more about it, which is I find really interesting why I'll suggest possibly I'm talking with community or I've got some girlfriends over and we're just having a candid conversation. And then the question of, well, or there's just the response to the, you know, sometimes I ask like, how do you masturbate or how do you self-pleasure? Tell me about your toys. 
And then there's this interesting fear of, I don't want to use my vibrator too much because I don't want to be desensitized, which is what I'm hearing. I'm like, where is this coming from? Who's saying this? And what is your actual physical experience that is leading you to believe that you don't have any sensation in an area that is laden with so many nerve endings? Like, I can't imagine you just like all of a sudden don't have any sensation there. I would love if you could expand a little on that, because I'm sure that there's a number of people that are listening to this now that have that belief or heard it somewhere and it lodged in their mind or you know, somewhere in their genitals and they're kind of fearful of it. Yeah. So it depends. There's three things. I always ask people, what do you mean by desensitize? And I get one of three answers and I can answer all of them, right? The first one is I will get less sensitive. I'll need more and more stimulation. My nerves will go numb. Okay. First of all, that's not true. And here's something really interesting rabbits and females have almost identical clitorises and they did an experiment where they gave the rabbits vibrator stimulation and guess what they got more sensitive not less so okay debunk that then often i hear it means that it often means i will always need it and i say well so what like we don't tell it's only when it comes to vibrators we're like don't get used to it we don't tell men don't get used to intercourse or someone don't get used to oral sex it's only when a vibrator is in the mix that so again really debunking that there's nothing wrong with always using it and finally some people say oh i'll get injured they mean i'll get numb and i say well if you use it too long that is a possibility but you shouldn't use it that long. If it's not working, stop. And it's also a little bit like riding a bike and your butt goes numb, get off the bike, (laughs) you know? So we know the research is so clear that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms and that a man's acceptance of his partner's vibrator use is really correlated, related with her sexual satisfaction. The more accepting he is, the more satisfied she is. Brilliant. It's like, I want her to just shout it a little bit louder, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think with early vibrator use for myself, it was more like digging around in my, and I always feel so funny when I go to say this, where I'm like, and I've even had my mom on the show. She was episode one, actually, a handful of years ago now. But she had like a magic wand style vibrator in her bedside drawer. And it was probably from Sharper Image or Brookstone because, you know, the whole deal of like everything in Sharper Image is a vibrator in disguise, that kind of thing. (laughs) So it's like in air quotes, a back massager. And so I remember finding that and it was a whole like you had to plug it in and this whole thing. And when she was gone, I figured out that it felt good down there, even though it said it was a back massager. I thought I was like, wow, I'm... I just figured something else totally out. I bet mom doesn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I bet mom knew. (laughs) I bet mom knew. I bet she knew the whole time. But I think back on that time when I was very young and sitting kind of on the side of the bed by where it was and plugging it in and having my little time there when I knew she wasn't around or when I was old enough to be left alone in the house. And I think that was when... I think I'm unsure when I look back if I actually knew that orgasm is what was happening or if I just knew it felt good. And then that led me to this place of release and that felt good. And so then I'd forget about it for a little while and then I'd remember it and I'd go in there and I'd use it again. But I look back on that time now as an adult and I think that was how I was able to train myself to know what my orgasm feels like. So it doesn't feel so elusive. And so I think for some people, there's an opportunity if they're not so familiar with vibrators, but they're also not so, they haven't had so many orgasms with a partner, maybe using their hand or they're just in the right position, whether they're on top or something like that. I think for some people, there's an opportunity here where they can maybe leverage toys or clitoral stimulators and just get used to what it feels like, what the buildup feels like. And so it's one of those things that like, then you can take this because to me, it's almost as though I'm so practiced in it, in this kind of way from throughout my life that when I'm then with a partner, I can feel the comings on of it. Like the initial tingles, the initial, I'm like, Oh, here we are. We're in a position. We're in a, everything is good here. And it's almost as though because I've practiced with other things, I'm able to take what I've learned and bring that into my partnership and try new things. And I think for me, maybe I'm a little bit different 
because I'm able to expand on it and I'm more like a scientist with it and I'm willing to like try and not really get there. Granted at this point I could more or less just think about an orgasm really hard and have it, (laughs) which is like, I say that. And some people are like, what did you just say? I'm like, I can just like really, I can like think about it. And there are women who can do that. Yeah. Think themselves to orgasm. Absolutely. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much. Yeah. And you know, something you said feels really, really important. And that's how you learned on your own and then took it into a partnership. And I'm a sex therapist and the most supported scientifically, empirically supported technique for teaching women how to orgasm is masturbation is saying, do it on your own and figure out what you like and then apply it to sex. So, I mean, that's how we help women find their uh, route to orgasm. Yeah. How would you respond to someone who is really wanting to close this gap in their relationship? They're wanting to learn how to have an orgasm during sex and you're giving them feedback and they have some hold up with the thought or the feeling of, I'm supposed to do this with my partner. Some people share that, and I've heard them share that they are challenged by the idea of doing self-pleasure or masturbation on their own. And their response is somewhere along the lines of, oh, but I'll just go to my, I just go to my partner for that. Like they almost don't want to give space to themselves to learn. Have you experienced that? Yeah. And I mean, usually the way I deal with it is asking a lot of questions like, where did you learn that? What's your fear? And sharing the science, like literally the science. Now, some people have said, I don't care about science, but the science is so clear. And the sex therapy literature is so clear that this is the best way to learn how to orgasm. So sometimes I'll even resort to saying like, if you had a medical issue and went to your doctor and they said, this is the treatment of choice, would you say, no, I don't want to do that? Like, why are you saying it around this? Because I can say you came to me for this problem and I'm telling you, this is the treatment of choice. This is what I'm suggesting to you. And sometimes giving them books to read. And if there's religious objections, there's a great person on YouTube. Her name is Rev Bev. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's an ordained Catholic minister. Oh, I think I might know who you're talking about now. And she's amazing. And she's got a lot of videos and a lot of things, but she's got one video on masturbation. I mean, where she talks about the Bible isn't against masturbation and she knows her stuff, right? She can quote the Bible. So kind of figuring out what is the objection. And it's usually an objection, not to male masturbation, but female masturbation, or it comes from childhood being told, don't put your hands down there. It's dirty. And I can say, like, I can also talk about the health benefits. We know masturbation-induced orgasms enhance vaginal health, skin health, bladder health, decrease stress, help you sleep, et cetera. I had to take a note here of Dr. Rev Bev. Yeah, you might want to have her on, right? Yeah, well, because for me, as you're speaking to this, and I'm glad that you mentioned the religion piece, because I've stumbled into self-pleasure as a kid with a bathtub. That was my entry point into, ooh, this feels good. No connection to sex in my mind. I was a kid. I was like five, four or five years old. And it was only through being conditioned in Catholic school that I realized that I was doing something that was really bad. And that I was probably going to go to hell from it to the point where I would look in the Bible for where it said I was going to go to hell. And this was a thing that I then attached to my orgasm. Once I even figured out that that was what was happening, because for the longest time, I wasn't really associating anything sexual. It was just a feel good thing. And so that has definitely been my growth journey as an adult. And occasionally we'll think, wow, I'm so liberated. Look at me go. I can think about an orgasm. It's very rare, but I can like think about it and I can almost get myself there and look at me now. But then every so often I find myself in sex and I'm bearing down. I'm closing my eyes. I'm being quiet. I'm doing all of the same patterning that I learned to do as a kid to hide it. And right. to try to make Do it, it go away and feel bad about it and yeah. then make it happen real fast. And then I'll, and, but I'm really grateful now though, that I've done enough work where I can zoom out and go, you're okay. Your pleasures, you know, like you're in this relationship. I have all these things that I get to say to myself now that make it all okay. But it's just this really interesting thing that like healing isn't linear, right? There's all these layers 
And just when I That's, think I'm so liberated and I up, oh, yeah, let's, I'm dusting my hands off. I'm like, oh, okay. That part healed, done. Don't have to worry about that. And then I'm mid thirties and I'm like, oh shit, there's more to this. Yeah, you know, definitely. there's a little more. Definitely. So. Yeah. And one of the things I learned from listening to her and reading is a lot of it comes from, there's a story I don't in the Bible and I, I'm not a Bible person. I don't know a lot about it. So this is from Rebbev and other sources that there's a story in the Bible of Oman and his brother passes away. And when your brother passes away, you're supposed to have intercourse. And if she doesn't have a kid already, it's your duty to get her pregnant. Okay. So they get it on and he spilled his seed is what it said. Mm -hmm. And God struck him down. And even Bible experts are like, no, that's not even about masturbation. He pulled out, he ejaculate, he pulled out, he didn't ejaculate inside of her. And that Rev Beth says there's no mention of masturbation in the Bible, no mention of female masturbation. And in fact, what she says in one of her podcasts is Jesus was a real pleasure loving guy. He would have been all about you know, masturbation and pleasure. And she cites things. So, you know, I'm not doing it justice because that I'm not her, but, and I will sometimes have people watch that and then come back and talk about it. And also a lot of times people aren't ready to just go home and masturbate. So I'll be like, let's work up to it gradually. Touch yourself differently in the shower, linger a little, watch some good models, not porn of people masturbating. Betty Dotson has some great videos. There's a site called OMG Yes, which is done by Kinsey Institute and scientists of how women masturbate and just get yourself educated on the topic. Agreed. 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 I love that so much. And I would love to shift a little on the front of sexual desire. If that's okay. okay. And, and because, you know, we're having this combo all about orgasms and closing the gap and ways to do it. And, and I think for some people, if they're not already real skilled in the orgasm department, they've got some marching orders in a sense with the vibrator or the lube, which I'll just like tack on. If you're not using lube with your vibrator, just try it and see how that feels. Cause that changed everything for me as far as the sensitivity piece, which I don't know if you have experienced this with your clients, actually, Lori, but it went from feeling like irritating some vibration to like putting the lube there and then it feeling less irritating and more pleasurable. So yeah, vulvas are not supposed to be touched dry. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. And so I think people are like, okay, cool. Check. I'm going to work on my orgasm. Then what about for the people who are in relationships that it feels kind of elusive because sex is a little bit few and far between. They might like to have more orgasms or maybe they're even having them by themselves every so often, but this desire piece and wanting to expand in general in their desire in their partnerships, especially long-term relationships. Here's the thing, y'all, you know that we do this, right? Yes. We like do this. Like this is what we do. We do. Yes. This is what we do. We work with you. (laughs) We work with couples. Um, We work with singles too. Jordan works with men. I work with women. We work with couples and we have a program called Couples Goals. We've run it three times. We're getting ready to run it for a fourth time Mm -hmm. in 2023. It's also associated with one of our um, most exciting retreat experiences as well, which is so fun. And so um, tell them a little bit about Couples Goals. Yeah. So there's Couples Goals, the virtual experience, and then there's the in-person retreat and they couple nice together. Mm -hmm. This next round of the virtual starts in March and it's six weeks. It's a date night is a lot of the way a lot of people like to look at it. Yeah. A designated date night every Wednesday. Yep. Uh, I think we might do Monday this time because, but whatever. A designated date night every week. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's two hours and it's very experiential. Mm-hmm. And so there's anywhere from 10-ish or so couples, uh, live video Zoom call. And everybody gets naked. Everybody gets naked. And that we, is a we lie. suck it and fucking. That's and a lie. It's a lie. It's such a <laughs> that lie. That is a question a lot of people ask. People ask that they're, question. They're very curious. Like, whoa, what does that look like? Anything Group that is on the more. <laughs> anything that's on the more risque side is. Off like, camera. Off camera. Exactly. Off camera. But everybody's fully clothed. Yeah. Uh, and we go through conscious kink, BDSM, 
Tantra. Tantra, but you jumped communication. all the way. You what? jumped all What'd the way towards the end of the experience, but we we ha- we set up a really beautiful foundation yes. so that you can delve into things like conscious kink and tantra and all. I that. was starting with the juicy stuff. Yeah, but some that's kind of frightening for some people. Totally, like, we oh, very yeah, much we start do? with a foundation and slow yeah. build. It's a hero's journey. Love that shit. And yeah, and we go into all kinds of beautiful stuff. There's a, a community that develops as a result of it. There's that mastermind kind of feel to it. Master heart, as I like to say. And there's a private telegram thread where we get to share things throughout the week in between calls. Uh, we also have a men's only and a women's only component to it, which is also really supportive and a nice yeah. balance. Yeah. And then it climaxes with the retreat, which mm-hmm. will be in... April, April 20th to 23rd yeah. in Austin. Yeah. And yeah. so after sharing our whole process and all of that with all of you, uh, I think that it is important that we share that we are very much committed to helping other couples mm-hmm. um, on my path and discovering what is my happy and all of that. There's a couple things for sure when it comes to the work that I personally do in the world, and that is supporting other couples to be able to be more in alignment to be able to uh, love each other deeper, to have really great intimacy. You know, Jordan and I went through some challenging shit in 2022 and we still love each other deeply, show up for each other, um, infallibly so, and we still have a great sex life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really important to me. I definitely feel so much purpose in helping other people either achieve a relationship of their dreams or their current relationship have it unfold into the relationship they've always dreamed it to be that they could. Um, and so, and for you, I know that you find a lot of purpose in this too. I so do. And, and one more thing I'll share is now having done this a few times over the past couple of years in conjunction with other stuff, my men's stuff, your women's stuff, the way it's all flowing together is unlike anything I could have imagined. Uh, we've now seen several relationships that were on the brink of divorce, breaking up that are like now- Like he was living in a hotel. Yes. Set, like multiple relationships. They were, and we don't say that we work with couples in crisis. No. But this just happened to unfold this way mm-hmm. and their relationship is completely and totally transformed. Just so beautiful. Yeah. And with couples goals specifically, we very much- identify it as for all in couples. So couples, that's not to say everything's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely not necessarily. You just know that that's your person. You just, exactly. And you're committed to making that your person. Yeah. And you're wanting to inject more intimacy, more romance, more sexiness, more novelty, and be supporting that process. Cause it's really fucking challenging to do on your own. Uh, but when you have people that are fighting the good fight with you and some fearless leaders guiding the way a little bit. It, I wouldn't call us fearless, but yeah, maybe fierce. Sure. Working on it. Yes. Yeah, then it then it is significantly easier. And just to more enjoyable. It. And to all see the so many people come in and they they'd be like like we had a we had a couple recently that has several kids and they've <laughs> just they're like we're having the best sex of our lives now. Yeah. You know, or for them to say we didn't even realize that this was the main thing that was missing, you know, because our whole focus in couples goals is to give people tools mm-hmm. that they can practically and and put into their relationship and one of those things that it's one of those kinds of things that it's like once you know it, you can't unknow it. Mm-hmm. Uh and so yeah, it's really special. Yeah. And something I've been saying recently that really resonates is it's not rocket science, but it is a science. Great. Come on now. All right. So join us for Couples Goals Virtual and Couples Goals The Retreat. For more info, you can check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at that sex chick. At conscious.bro. All right. Love y'all. You know, I've written two books. The second was on orgasm. The first one was on diminished desire in long-term relationships. And here is the most important thing I can tell people that can really help is that when we think about desire, we think about what do we mean by that? I'm not horny anymore. I'm never horny anymore. What is horniness? It's actually the beginning of arousal, tingling, throbbing, desiring sex. But there's another kind of desire that is very steeped in the scientific literature, but not even taught to psychologists, doctors, and certainly the lay public doesn't know anything about it. It's called responsive desire and receptive desire is another way, which is I am not horny, but 
I like the idea of sex. I'm open to the idea of sex. I'm responsive, receptive to it because of many reasons. I know I'll feel closer after. I know it'll be good when it gets going. And a lot of women will use their responsive desire and then say, oh, that was duty sex. And because I started it without being horny. And my answer is no, if it's good when it gets going, it's not duty sex. And if they haven't been doing it, I suggest doing it. Reverse the equation, have sex to get horny rather than wait to be horny to have sex. Sit down. What's our ideal frequency? When can we do this? And the spontaneous sex is a myth and, you know, which I can blow in a minute if you want, no pun intended. <laughs> then set aside the time. Like an example, you and I set this time to be on this podcast months ago. It's in my calendar. We didn't just spontaneously show up. We both have busy <laughs> jobs, busy lives. And that's how it is in long-term relationships. It doesn't happen unless you carve out time to do it. And it's not unromantic, but really don't just check it off the box. Set time aside. Take the time to get aroused. Take the time to get into it. And the myth of spontaneous sex, you know, I'll say to people, and maybe you can help me come up with a more modern than parents' driveways, because I don't know if people still do that. But the idea that, like early in relationships, we're always kissing, we're always touching, we're being provocative. We don't just stop touching and then get in bed and go, oh, you want to do it. Like, remember your parents' driveway, her, how erotic that was, because you didn't have to go all the way. So that's something I suggest to increase the everyday heat. But the spontaneous myth is Remember before you were married, did you like go out on dates and did you like take a shower first? Did you do your hair? Did you put on cute underwear? Did you spray yourself with perfume? And oh, the night ended on sex. That is not spontaneous. It's well orchestrated. You planned it even then, basically. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it that way, but that is definitely true. And that all of a sudden spontaneous, we can't get our hands off of each other, but there was space and there was teasing and there was foreplay that was happening energetically and through text or through calls before we were in the same place together. So there was intentional buildup. Exactly. And then you get married and you're together a long time and you get kids and aging parents and jobs and money stress and you stop doing that. And then you hop into bed and someone says, do you want to have sex? And the other person's like, no, I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. So you have to plan it and orchestrate it again, basically. Yeah. And use your responsive desire. The last thing I'll say, there's something called the limerence phase. It's that early, we can't keep our hands off each other phase. And people love that phase. It's so wonderful, but we think it's supposed to last. It doesn't. It's a biochemical phase. It lasts six months to two years. Think about it. If you were constantly in that phase, you really couldn't live your life effectively. That's why it's biochemical and it fades. Mm. And it's supposed to. Yeah. It's normal. Yeah. Okay. So it's for the people who are listening to that and they're like, damn. I'm married and can't get it, can't get that thing back. Am I just never going to feel that peak again? Am I never going to feel that drive again or that desire again? What is available to them if it's not that? Because I think some people think it's only going to get worse. But there is a book by a wonderful person named Peggy Kleinpetz called Magnificent Sex. And she found that people started having their best sex at age 50. When they let go of all that bullshit, they let go of the idea, I should feel horny before sex. Intercourse is the main act. And they created a life that worked for their life stage. And no, maybe you won't. Here's the bad news. Maybe you won't feel horny again, except on vacation. But that doesn't mean you can't have orgasmic, connected, rock and sex that's better than the sex you had that started with being horny. Right. Well, I remember early on in past relationships, we were hot and heavy, which makes me think of Seinfeld. Anyway, <laughs> so we were hot and heavy in the beginning. And while we couldn't wait to get with each other, it didn't necessarily mean an orgasm was had on my part. I just wanted to be with that person. And so right. it's really fascinating to look back. Yeah. And it can get better. 
Oh yeah. I was talking to a client once and I mean, this was a male client and he was in his sixties and he was lamenting like, Oh, you know, my erections aren't as hard. I'm not as horny. And I had a really good relationship and it can use humor even in therapy. And this client was bald and had a hearing aid and was a former football player. So I said, does it bother you? You're bald. And he looked at me like, where the hell are you going, Lori? Like, why are you changing this subject? He goes, no, of course not. I've been bald for years. I was like, how about your hearing aid? Does that bug you? Then he started to get it. He laughed. He goes, no, it helps me hear. I was like, oh, time to end. Time for football practice. And we got into a discussion about why was he willing to accept all other life and aging changes with grace, with acceptance, but somehow he thought he should feel like he did when he was 18 sexually. It's not realistic. But when we let go of that idea, we can really open ourselves up to better sexual encounters, deeper, more orgasmic. It just inspires an exhale. <laughs> in me because I do have this deep belief that it's only going to get better and I think that that deep belief is and you know in my personal life and in my relationship I think we will get it because I believe it and he believes it and we're going to show up for it and we're, we've created a foundation in our relationship from the limerence phase knowing that it wasn't going to last and trying not to kid ourselves that we could make it last and so that's my out there belief but it feels really validating and really good to hear someone who's been practicing as long as you have in sex therapy and working with so many clients that it is really a thing that it is really yeah. a thing for so many other people. And, you know, cause people, I think sometimes they'll listen to the show and they'll hear like Jordan and I, my husband and I talking and think, Oh, well, it's good. Great for them, but it's accessible to everyone. We're not special, but we do have this belief and it, it has taken a lot of deconstruction and with regards to our previous mindsets and things that we were lugging from previous relationships and times that we were hurt and both of us growing up in Christian environments and having divorced parents and all of that. And so it's like this consistent, this is worth looking at. This is worth working with. Of course, there's now we're to a place where we're working on starting our family and we know it's not going to get any easier. It's only yeah. possibly going to get harder. You're going to really need to schedule it then, Yeah, you know, because you can't just spontaneously have sex with your baby in the, you know, I mean, it's just so unrealistic the way we portray yeah. things. Yeah. 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 So all of us on a mission, Right? Great sex. It only gets better. It like definitely that. can and does. <sighs> if you're willing to communicate and let go of these cultural lies that you've been told. Absolutely. And then that's a choice that everybody gets to make. Is it worth it to me? Is the discomfort of having less orgasms or having less sex or not feeling turned on or being disappointed or whatever, is that the discomfort I'm going to hold on to and just continue to eke out? Or is it the discomfort of having really crunchy challenging conversations with my partner so that we can eventually move through this and then potentially get to more ease, potentially get to more pleasure. I mean, I say potentially, but it's just about guaranteed in my world. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And the other thing is sexual problems can be solved, but sometimes people are so ashamed. They don't say anything. They suffer in silence. They don't talk to each other. The sooner you try to solve a sexual problem, the better. So the other thing is, if you really feel stuck, find a sex therapist, find someone who's been trained, who knows this stuff to help you through it. And the earlier, the better. Absolutely. Well, I've loved everything about this conversation, Miss Lori. And that's my deep South Louisiana coming out when I want to call you Miss Lori. It's, fine. Um, it's all good. Yeah. So there's some components of my very deep Southern Louisiana roots that I just can't untether, can't unwind. But anyway, I would love to really end on, on the note of any additional tips that maybe we haven't mentioned or you haven't mentioned through the course of our convo today that you'd really I, just love to leave our people with. Mindfulness. What Great. is mindfulness? It's putting your mind and your body in the same place. Like our minds are great. They can think forward, they can think back, but it also means sometimes we're distracted. And we know that women often are distracted during sex. We're thinking, how does my body look? Am I going to come? Am I doing this right? Or 
we're thinking, oh my gosh, I forgot to return that email. And how am I going to get to the grocery store or whatever? So the antidote to that is mindfulness, putting your mind and body in the same place. It's harder than it sounds. You got to practice it in your daily life. You can use like an app, Headspace, Insight Timer, Calm, Balance to learn it, or you can learn it in everyday life. The next time you're brushing your teeth, really focus on the feelings, the sensations. And when your mind wanders, and it will, bring it back to your body sensations. We know mindfulness is one of sex's best friends. And in fact, the brain state right before orgasm is identical to the brain state of deep mindfulness meditation. So not just like it's really important to learn to turn off your busy brain and mindfulness can really help for that. Sometimes if people can't get their fantasy is also good. Anything that's going to turn your self-monitoring brain off during sex is really important as well. Amazing. So it's the extra sprinkle on top as if you want to take it to the next, next level. Absolutely. Turn, turn the consist the, well, I think I call mine. I'm like, it's a damn circus in there. You know, <laughs> like in my mind when I'm trying to do things, I'm like, wow. When I try to meditate and I always, I'll probably always use the word try in there. I try to meditate and I do it several times a week. I'm like, wow, how is it still goddamn circus in there. It's just like constantly firing, but it puts it into perspective of like, this is also playing out when I'm going to have connection with my partner. And then in the buildup to orgasm too, it's like, well, if all that's running into each other in my mind and I need to be in my body and be relaxed in order to have, you know, it's pretty easy at this point. I'm like, I can just bust out an orgasm, but if I want a good one, if I want like a long, nice, connected, now it's all that's got to go. Yeah. You got to learn to be in your body, not in your mind. And it takes practice. And I would say everybody, most of our minds are a circus, but it's like learning to quiet it and focus on our bodies is super important. There's actually a study too, that shows I'm a huge yoga fan. I go like five days a week, but yoga and women who do yoga are more orgasmic. And I think it's because of the mind-body connection, like being in your body that it teaches. So go take a yoga class. Great. All right. (laughs) Dr. Lori, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with all of our listeners. I'm sure that this is so helpful for so many people, whether they are partnered with someone who they wish they could help have better orgasms or they themselves are looking to have better, deeper, more connected orgasms. Before we sign off, where can people find you? And if you want to mention the two books as well and who you would recommend, pick up each one. Sure, sure. So you can find me, my website, my Instagram handle, my Facebook handle, they're all the same, Dr. Lori Mintz. So D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. So And if you get to my website, there'll be links to my social media, my books on stuff, or just look me up on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And my two books, the first one is called A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. It's only available on Kindle now, but I'm very proud of the fact that four published studies show women who read it enhance their desire, their arousal, their satisfaction. My second book is available by audiobook, Kindle, or e-reader, and paperback, and it's called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And a published study shows that women who read it have more orgasms, more satisfaction, more empowerment, less pain, and men who read it let go of these damaging myths. So you can get them on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And follow me on Instagram because that's where I'm most active. So thanks for asking that question. Oh, and the second book is usual, is really for women who diminish their desire, usually not always 35 and over in long-term relationship. The first book is for any woman who's not had an orgasm or wants to have an orgasm or wants to have more orgasms in partnered sex or just wants to learn about these cultural issues. So good. Thank you. I appreciate you again. And of course, the work, the very important work that you do in the world. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.